Good morning. It's Tuesday, the 10th of October, and this is Govindraj Ethiraj coming to you from Mumbai, India's financial capital. Our top stories and themes for the day. World markets take a hit on the Israel-Hamas war, but oil holds at $87 a barrel. No supply chain issues, wait times down, Indian auto industry is now in full supply mode. Cellular phone exports rise sharply, now targeted at $17 billion by the end of the year. And the Nobel Prize for Economics goes to Professor Claudia Golden for her work on gender disparities at work and pay. This is a core report with Govindraj Ethiraj. Markets and oil. The Indian markets were affected by rising tensions in the Middle East. More than 1,100 people have died since the fighting between Israel and militant group Hamas broke out over the weekend. The BSE Sensex dropped 483 points to end at 65,512, while the Nifty 50 closed at 19,512, down 141 points. The volatility gauge, the India VIX, zoomed 12% today. On Wall Street, stocks fell in early trade with the Dow Jones Industrial Average dropping around 0.2%. The S&P 500 lost about 0.5%, while on the tech-heavy Nasdaq Composite, contracts fell nearly 1%. Oil prices surged partially after an unexpected attack on Israel by Hamas, raising tensions in the Middle East. U.S. crude futures surged as much as 5.4% in New York at one point, topping $87 a barrel but slipped back a little. Oil has otherwise been on a downward journey from around $94 a barrel to touch $84 a barrel in just weeks. Last month, oil was projected to touch $100 a barrel on the back of supply cuts by Saudi Arabia and Russia. What was not quite predicted was the lack of demand the high prices would trigger and prices started sliding back. Back to supply, there is no real impact seen on supply in the current situation and as things stand, hence prices are not really reacting. Bloomberg News quoted Citigroup saying that the hostilities reduce expectations that Saudi Arabia will cut or eliminate its 1 million barrels a day of output curbs. The only unknown risk is that of Israel attacking Iran, according to some analysts. That is not the situation prices are yet reflecting, though. Morgan Stanley said that they thought the impact of the conflict would be limited. For now, they don't expect a spillover into other countries, meaning that there would be muted longer-term impact on crude prices. Society General SA said heightened geopolitical tensions could add between a $5 to $10 risk premium to crude prices. In Israel itself, the government and the central bank, the Bank of Israel, have moved swiftly to support the shekel, Israel's currency, which fell despite the intervention. The Bank of Israel said it would sell as much as $30 billion and extend up to $15 billion through swap mechanisms as part of an unprecedented program to support markets, according to a statement on Monday quoted by Bloomberg. Israel's currency slid to a session low despite that intervention after briefly erasing losses when it was announced. The currency was down about 2% to 3.9 against the dollar as of 1 o'clock local time, its weakest since 2016. The country's benchmark TA35 stock index, however, rose 0.2% after recouping a loss of as much as 1.3% on Monday earlier. There have been other unfortunate outcomes on the business side. 
AI and chip giant Nvidia cancelled its AI conference in Tel Aviv next week due to safety concerns. The chipmaker had scheduled an in-person AI summit with a keynote by its CEO Jensen Huang for October 15th and 16th in Tel Aviv, calling the event as the number one conference for developers, business leaders and AI researchers. Some 2,500 developers, researchers and tech workers were set to attend the two-day conference, Nvidia told CNBC. Israel has a buzzing AI tech startup ecosystem with thousands of active startups. Now back home and macro economy India's government will probably scale back on its investment spending in the coming years as it curbs its budget deficits at the Goldman Sachs group giving the private sector scope to pick up the slack. With the government planning to cut fiscal shortfall by about 1.5 percentage points over the next 2 years, the rapid pace in capital expenditure growth in the past few years cannot be sustained going forward. Goldman's economist said in a note quoted among other places in the business standard. Meanwhile, it's that time of the 5 years now with more state elections lined up. The election commission on Monday announced the date of assembly polls in 5 states namely Madhya Pradesh, Chhattisgarh, Rajasthan, Telangana and Mizoram. The elections will start around November 7th and end on December 5th. They will take place in a total of 679 assembly constituencies representing 1/6th of all constituencies in the country. There are 82 million male and 78 million female voters in these five states or 160 million in all of which 6.02 or about 6 million first time voters are in these states this year. The auto industry is on the roll waiting times fall. Indian auto is having a good season if not a year. Overall sales are up 20% to 1.9 million units year on year for September. Within that passenger vehicle sales are up 19%, two wheelers 22% and three wheelers a record 49%. Actually if anything is really booming it's three wheelers including of course electric. The rise in two wheeler sales also suggests a positive shift in rural fortunes despite the unusual monsoon patterns and losses to crops. And three wheelers of course are going gangbusters with every month seeing new records. We've touched upon those and those reasons earlier but we'll come to them once again shortly. Perhaps the most significant trend is that there is now a clear acknowledged shift on the supply side. There is no real post covid effect now beyond the point that supply chains have mostly stabilized and waiting periods are down quite sharply for most automobile models. At least going by what the Federation of Automobile Dealers Association is saying. I reached out to Manish Rajthanhania president of Fada and also the managing partner of Ralas Motors based out of Raipur in Chhattisgarh and I began by asking him what was keeping demand going so strong Now rather than we talking about post covid effect it is about you know post regularization of supply chain management more like last year we struggled for semiconductors and all kind of parts that were imported and we had seen a lot of struggle in that area and availability of part quality of parts was always an issue but things have been improving in this financial year and i think if you recollect last year we were talking waiting periods of one and a half two years in few models that has now reduced to six months now so that's a commendable improvement what is good about the total numbers that we are seeing of almost 20% Overall auto industry going up, two-wheeler going up by almost 22 percent. Passenger car reached its ever highest September month retail with a growth of 19 percent. So everything looks good for the auto industry. I think this clearly shows there is a continuity of demand, 
there's a requirement of vehicles in the market and even though pv in last financial year but every month we were seeing a single digit growth but with the advent of owner and ganesh festival we have started seeing double digit growth in passenger vehicles so that really shows that a lot of good new models are coming in we can see really more oems coming out forthcoming great launches are happening across the board various kind of consumers are being addressed i mean now indian market is now very specific there are a lot of consumers with specific requirements specific needs those kind of models are being launched and obviously ev do at a very small level but it has also come into play and when you say models that are doing well manish can you give us an example or two new models are doing good but what are our legacy models they have been you know upgraded rebranded refurbished just now today i got a invite from one of the tata dealers for the launch of new safari so if you look at it it's really looking pretty so xuv 700 continues to deliver well creta continues to deliver well every oem has got one module which is almost like a waiting period of 6 to 8 months every oem and that world is really kicking the market and doing the requisite numbers so that's a good part of the industry so if i were to look at passenger vehicles specifically and you mentioned that there is a waiting period so obviously there is not enough supply so does this mean that if supply were to go up let's say by 10% or 20% so let's say if you've sold 3.3 lakh vehicles in september i'm assuming that whatever is being supplied is being bought would that be a fair assumption so this is the mockery of the story actually if you look at the paid up stock dealers are at paid up stock of almost 63 to 65 days see last year what happened dealers had demand and we were not having vehicles we could not address what customer was requiring this year what we are seeing is the dealers are lapping up vehicles they are picking up whatever is being given to them so that they are able to address the surge in demand during festival times they don't want to face another period of last two years what we saw so they have been lapping up numbers but here the oem has to be very very careful oem should not play a bad role here they should understand rather than just only building up stocks of see every oem you have a entry level there every oem entry level segment is not moving so maybe a marti would be a different with for hyundai it would be a different for mahindra it would be a different Tata, but every OEM entry level is not moving. But building that entry level stock at the dealership can be bad for the overall health of the auto retail tree. So they should be very careful to a certain limit. These vehicles should be built. What is important? They build vehicles, manufacture vehicles, which is actually required by the customer. We are able to deliver these vehicles during festival times. Happy customer, give me a multi-fold increase in your details or references of. number of things where that customer can be of huge benefit so i know two wheelers have done well and there's been a rural upswing there but i'll come to that in a second and three wheelers have hit another record and this is another all time high at about 100000 units or 102000 units in august it was about 97 and that's a 49% jump over last year so what is happening in three wheelers so three wheeler see there are a lot of things happening you know first is attribute there has always been a latent demand for three wheelers because it's a very good source of employment three wheeler owner earns anywhere between 15 to 40000 per month take away whole okay net profit so there was a demand for three wheelers as a commuter vehicle or as a goods vehicle both this three wheeler industry was regulated by permit system for ice engine you always required permits to deploy the vehicle in the market for commuting purposes but with the advent of electric vehicle the permit system central government got away with the permit system 
So this latent demand, which was already there, the requirement was already there. We don't have a robust public transport system, whether it is urban or semi-urban rural, so there is no public transport system only. But these are the vehicles which only take you from point A to point B. So a very good source of employment. And additionally, what had happened, a lot of people during COVID times, they, when they migrated to their hometowns and were not able to go back to their urban centers and they have like settled down now in their villages or small towns. They've also opted for three-wheeler as an employment. So all this has given a huge boost to the industry. On top of it, the kind of earnings that a three-wheeler customer is able to get through an electric vehicle. These are the, you know, flag winners of change in India. They have realized the profitability or workability of electric vehicle. So these are the flag winners and they really understand now and they are utilizing it in uh, full capacity. And you've also said that there seems to be a slight shift it's 22% up at about 1.3 million, but there seems to be a shift on the rural side. And is there any larger takeaway on that? So yes, such kind of growth not be achieved without rural contributing in the overall numbers. And this one thing good about two-wheeler is also that this is the first time when they have reached the pre-COVID level for a particular month. So compared to a, a September 2019, we are up by almost 2.5%. So this is the first time they have reached that pre-COVID level. So that seems, and eventually if you look at it, why? So we had a, overall a very decent month. So August was a month which gave us some worry, but it was covered in the month of September. And now overall the expectation is that we'll be having good quality of crop across the Nathan breadth of India. Eventually wouldn't money the heads of farmers. I think these numbers, if they are able to reflect this kind of growth in the month of September, I think we can see a further greater growth in festival months or in coming months, where by starts and eventually farmers start getting money from the government at the support prices. Right. Manish, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Speaking of things going well for the automobile industry, things are not going so well for electric two-wheelers. Bloomberg is reporting that the government is demanding that six companies, including Hero Electric Vehicles, once India's top e-scooter maker, return around 500 crore rupees or $60 million of subsidies for violating localization rules. The government is also holding back unpaid subsidies from others. The issue, of course, has been festering for a few months and the government has already withdrawn subsidies causing electric two-wheeler companies to jack up prices. Meanwhile, things as I mentioned earlier are brighter on the four-wheeler side. So much so that Maruti Suzuki announced yesterday it would invest about 125,000 crores or 1.25 lakh crores or about $15 billion in total capital expenditure between 2024 and the end of the decade. Of this, some 45,000 crores would be allocated for expanding production capacity by 2 million units in these eight years. This again has been announced earlier. The remaining 80,000 crores of that capex or capital expenditure will be dedicated to expanding sales channels, building service and spare parts infrastructure, and research and development or R&D efforts. Mobile phone exports on course for $17 billion this year. India's mobile phone exports have now touched $5.5 billion this year from April to August at about 47,500 crores and are on their way to hit the $17 billion mark for the whole year, the electronics industry is saying. Half of these are presumed to be Apple phones, though the exact number cannot be confirmed. 
All of last year, mobile phone exports added up to $11.2 billion or about 90,000 crore rupees or so, while in 2021-22, they stood at about 45,000 crore rupees. India manufactures around 350 million phones in all for domestic and exports and scale up to 500 million quite quickly. I reached out to Pankaj Mohindru, chairman of the Indian Cellular and Electronics Association, to find out, among other things, if Indian exports were going up, who was cutting back or losing out. I also began by asking him what was driving the present spike in export numbers as we were seeing them. No, it's not double. Last year was 3.1 billion and this year is 5.5 billion. So it's not double, it's about 76% growth. So this is a part of a very calibrated program which started with the Fast Track Task Force which was set up in December 2014. And first was the period where we wanted to see that imports come down and we are able to fulfill domestic manufacturing. And that has happily happened from almost 80% of domestic market being fed by imports. Now we are down to about 1%, less than 1% in value and 3 to 4% in volume. So it's really happened. The exports trajectory started a few years back, which was, you can say, we crossed a billion dollars in 2018-19. So it was 1.6 billion. And then next year was 3.8. Then we had the COVID year. It went down to 3.1. Last year was 5.8 billion dollars, which is, that is 21-22. And 22-23 was 11.1, about 90,000 crores. Growth was in rupee towns was 100% last year compared to 21-22. And this year we are hoping to cross about $17 billion. So the PLI is $17 billion in the full year, that is 23-24. That's the kind of expectation. And as a result of this, the electronic export has grown substantially. We did $23 billion last year. And this year, the electronic export from $7.8 billion has gone up to $10.8 billion. So minus mobile phone export has grown from 4.6 billion to 5.2 billion, which is a 13% growth in electronic. While the overall export trend has been sluggish, we are very happy that you know our effort to make India the destination of choice for GVCs, it's work in progress. And the geography is a very simple answer, you know, that's obviously it's our neighboring country. Who are importing from us? Exporting. We are taking a share from our neighbors. Because export is largely two countries, three countries now, India, Vietnam and China. These are the three countries which exports mobile to the rest of the world. Right. So you're saying we're taking share from Vietnam and China? From China. Okay. So you said that last year we did about $11 billion of mobile phone exports and this year we're looking at $17 billion. And that's obviously a strong growth. And you're seeing this trajectory continuing and as we take away more export share? Well, we have massive target of $50 billion by March 25, 26. Uh, so that will be have to cross $50 billion. And where are we in terms of capacity? And how much of our capacity currently, what is the capacity and what is the utilization, if in percentage terms, if not in absolute numbers, for exports of mobile phones? See, capacity in electronics is a very flexible number. Capacities, the final capacities, assembling capacities, etc. can be added up very quickly. So we have sufficient capacity. We 
In fact, we have capacity to go up to almost 500 million phones manufacturing. I think we should be currently in volume tops doing about 350 plus. So we have a sufficient headroom and as the trend sets in, then companies are able to set up capacities quite rapid. We are able to put capacities on the ground very quickly, you know, contrary to what people feel that train manpower is not there, etc. We have been able to put up capacities very quickly. And when you say 350 million phones, that's both domestic and exports? And you're saying this can go up to 500 million quite quickly because the companies are able to do that? I think we have a headroom on capacities of about 100, 150 million can be done very rapidly. So what's the electronics part of the export, the non-mobile phone part? What are we mostly exporting? So there is a whole lot of things. There are traditional electronics, industrial electronics and things like that. We are exporting some chargers also and many other products. But they have been a part of the traditional export. The new export, which is mobile phones, IT hardware, wearable wearables, consumer electronics, all of that are now getting set, so to say. Starting with mobile phones, next we have to get into wearable wearables, where we have now big volume companies out of India, Boat, Noise, Firebolt are big companies. Then IT hardware, you've seen that the PLI has come now, PLI 2.0. So the manufacturing will scale up and we'll have a spillover in export. We first have to qualify for domestic market, which is largely import-oriented. So we have to replace that and the exports have to start. Pankaj, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. And the Nobel Prize in Economics goes to Professor Claudia Golden has been awarded the Nobel Prize in Economics 2023 by the Royal Swedish Academy of Sciences, which announced on October 9th for addressing a question that's often asked nowadays, but perhaps not quite clearly answered. The question, why are there pay and employment gaps between men and women? The Nobel Prize recognized Professor Golden's comprehensive research on women's contribution to the labor market and the causes of change and the main sources of that remaining gender gap. Born in 1946 in New York, Golden used more than 200 years of data to show that while the pay gaps could historically be explained by differences in education and occupational choices, they now exist mainly between men and women in the same jobs and arise with the birth of the first child, Bloomberg reported. Professor Golden is the 55th recipient of the prize and the third woman to receive this award since its inception in 1969. This was also the last Nobel Prize for the year. On that note, that's it from me for today. Do subscribe to our newsletter on www.thecore.in. Do send us your feedback and we do really look forward to them and hope to incorporate some of your thoughts and comments. Have a great day. This was The Core Report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at The Core. You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter at www.thecore.in. That is www.thecore.in. Or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook as well. Now, we would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant to you including our reporting on India's vibrant manufacturing sector. Write to us at feedback at the core.in. Thank you for listening. <laughs>